Hello and welcome to Critical Role Models, where two nerdy ass podcasters talk about donuts and Dungeons and Dragons and <laughs> that's right. Yes, we talk about all those things and and death. <laughs> yes, we're going to be talking about death. But first, Happy New Year! Yeah, hey everybody, you made it. First episode of 2024. We're going to talk about death. <laughs> and we're going to talk about death, which, you know, the is tied to rebirth, you know, the ending of a year, the the birth Be- of a new year, like the, the tarot card death doesn't, you know, if you get it when you do like your daily draw, which I know you do, tarot mm-hmm. daily yeah, draws, I do. it doesn't just mean like, oh, there's going to be a death happening in your life. Like there's going to be an end and then like a new beginning. Yeah. We'll talk. Uh, I I have thoughts. Yes. But yeah. we are talking about character death, and so this episode might be a little heavier than our previous episodes. Definitely practice care if you're feeling a little... Spiky? Not spiky. I don't know. If it's just... If it's it, too much right now, don't listen. Then don't listen to it. But we're going to be talking about character death, and we'll try to focus on campaign one and two, but we will be using an example from early on in campaign three. So as always, you know, this whole entire podcast is a spoiler, <laughs> but I just want to verbally say that right now. That so true. We are definitely spoiling some stuff. Get ready to be spoiled. Yeah, get ready to be spoiled. <laughs> Doesn't everyone want to be spoiled? Yes. Let's start with, you know, why might death be something players and DMs want to include in their stories and, you know, this is if they agreed to including death in their session zero. And if they didn't include or if they didn't agree to including death in their session zero, how might the DM keep the stakes high? So let's first talk about, like, why you would want to include this. I mean, it's actually a good question because we sort of just take it traditionally like, yeah, character death. It's in the rules. It happens when you hit this many hit points. It's how it works. And you just do it without thinking about it. But my brother challenged me and he says, why does death even exist as a mechanic? Isn't it inherently unfun? I mean, you're getting invested in these characters and then with a few bad rolls of the dice, they just die. Mm. Yeah. To which I said, well, but it's meaningful. And then he was like, yeah, but can it be meaningful in other ways? Anyway. Which it can and we will answer that question next. Yeah, I, I definitely think it can. Here's what... Here's what I think is worthy about it in the story. For one, it can totally be meaningful, but also I like it as a DM because I see it as a storytelling challenge where here's like this inherently painful thing. And how can we as a group honor that that's possible in the story without it necessarily taking away from our fun at the table and still making it like a a good part of the story. Um, So I think being super thoughtful because death is really upsetting. So mm-hmm. be sure that it's not something that happens necessarily by accident. You don't want one of your players to just be blindsided. Right. Why do you think it's worth including? Well, we mentioned the it helps keep raise the stakes and mm-hmm. there's this tension there. I think about computer games, Xbox games that I've played. And, you know, when you do those cheats to make things easier, you know, like playing Ark survival evolved i think it's called it that dinosaur game there's ways to to move faster have this great armor basically death doesn't happen as much the games aren't uh, as fun because they're there's that challenge has totally been taken away so i know that for me you know playing a game i do like having that risk there but i trust that my party will 
be there for my character. And if for whatever reason, it's my character's time, I trust you as the DM to handle it with care. Yeah. And we're going to talk today about some tools as a DM for handling that with care and as a player for setting healthy boundaries around it. Yes. Because it is an inherently painful experience and it should be something you're signed up for if it's possible for you. Right. And, you know, if you don't want it in your game, you don't have to have it. That's what the session zero is for, for establishing those lines and veils. And if you thought you wanted it and then you changed your mind, that's fine too. If, if you don't include death in your campaigns, then what are ways to raise the stakes? And we're going to have an, an episode devoted to stakes. Ways but, to raise the stakes, yep. But I just want to know, just like briefly, you know, if you don't have death, then oh, what are some other ways? Well, if your character can't die, certainly NPCs can. Right. NPCs that your characters care about. Okay, but just saying, somebody said, I don't want any death. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, that, I mean... You know, the question is then what kind of suffering could exist in the world? What mm -hmm. sort of bad things could happen to what the players care about? Is it forests being hurt or destroyed in mm -hmm. some way? Um, is it their hometown, people being captured instead of killed? Or even, you know, how can your character be thwarted towards their objectives as they try to have something happen that they care about? What can happen that could get in the way? Either maybe an antagonist who's trying to get that thing that they want more than them. A lot of this comes into like the DM's place. But as a character, you can think about it too. Where if death isn't on the table, what could happen? Death doesn't need to happen to invest your characters in the story. It goes back to character arc, character creation. Some things that we're going to talk about in the future on engagement. You know, the death is just a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is just one component, but it can be juicy. And we here, we are here this episode to talk about what if there is death? Death. So there are some bits of advice that we've seen Matt give, you know, especially those wonderful videos back in, I think, 2017 <laughs> that he recorded. And the advice that he gives, I'll just go through like little bullet points of them. You want to do the moment justice, you know, give it description, give, give it the feeling of epic and give the character their last words. Uh, we do see that in Critical Role with the characters who have died. And if they don't come back, if there's no resurrection, then you give the characters as well as the players time to grieve for that character. I know that Critical Role, they'd go out to a pub, I think in Los Angeles, uh, and have a drink. And they probably can't go to that pub anymore because <laughs> they're just more famous now. But yeah. I'm sure they have other ways of mourning character death. And some other advice that Matt gives is keep the memory of that character alive as the campaign continues. And you can even find a way to tie the deceased character back into the main narrative with the new character. And we will definitely talk about examples of how this has happened in Critical Role. For sure. Yeah. And I think that this is a natural byproduct of doing a good job investing your players at character creation and throughout the game. They're going to come to care about each other and care about each other's characters, or at least they can. And I think that if people are really invested in that, then they are going to, they're going to care when somebody, when somebody dies. Because yeah. you're kind of losing that person or that, that imaginary person that you've maybe been playing with for like a year or two years. I mean, it can be, it can be a lot of being like, wow, they're not coming back. I know that they're a fictional character. And then even if they do die in the story, they still live on in your head. But I think I would still feel sad. Yes, they live on in my head, but I know that in the actual story, they're yeah. not there anymore. Yeah, their tale has come to a, a conclusion. And, you know, players can make that meaningful 
also, if they care, they're naturally going to be like, you know, for Molly or for which what we'll, we'll talk about, which we'll talk about soon. But very they'll, soon. they'll call back to that to that character and it can even have them reassess, you know, losing a friend does make you stop and think about your life, mm-hmm. um, even if it's a fictional life. Yeah, that's true. Some other little bits of advice before we move on. We already said that you want to make sure that your players are okay with dying. And if death is in your campaign, you want to warn them of this risk often. They're, the example we'll talk about in a moment with Molly Muck in campaign two, Mercer, you know, not just with that one, but Matt re- reminds the party multiple times that like the threat that they're facing, you know, that they think that they're demigods like in campaign one. But death is a is a is a real possibility, especially in campaign two when they're much lower level. And so he would give these warnings. And is there like a I feel like I've heard you talk about this with me, you know, separately, obviously not in the podcast, but like, is it the the rule of three? That's actually, that's a great one. Yes. Rule of three, make sure that you've, there's got to be enough hints and symbols, even like full on, like three, like the first time you hear about the bad guy, they're Mm -hmm. responsible for something awful. The first time you see evidence of something they've done, it's awful. The first time you role play with them, it's very clear that they're violent. Mm -hmm. You know, like making it super obvious as you build towards something that this person or character or place, maybe it's a dangerous place with monsters in it is is really threatening mm-hmm. and and should players should be aware of that. Yeah, I on that note, I I wanted to say that yeah, giving giving lots of hints along the way that that something is bad. You know, in the past I, I had a villain who had like attacked a village and there was like really bad stuff that had happened because of that. And then, you know, more rumors of who this person was. And so when the players finally confronted them and and they did it in a manner that I think was really risky and split the party and all sorts of stuff where, where it was like, it was mostly the player's decisions. I, I felt like I'd given them enough information that also used tone of voice mm-hmm. to make it super clear, like, okay, if you're going to do that, like making it super clear with my tone of voice and my music choice mm-hmm. that they are in a very risky situation and handling that with care because your players are trusting you. Like, they're you're giving you their characters. They're right. like, at any point, you could plop down, uh, Brendan says this, you can plop down a red dragon and be like, what's up, suckers? <laughs> you're dead. Yeah. Like, so it's inherently a trust exercise between DM and player. And I've heard that tone of voice. You know, when I play Mirren, there are certain ways that you play a character and I'm like, oh, that's a warning. If I keep, if Mirren keeps going at it, there are going to be some consequences and that's going to be an entire episode on its own consequences. Totally. Which don't always have to be death. But yes, picking up those cues is really important. And um, I'm not saying that every character death happens because you didn't pick up the cues. Sometimes it really is like bad roll of the dice. Yeah. Yeah, you're really a great active listener, though, just to call that out. Like, I think that that's, that's a great thing to have with your player as a DM, that they're really listening to you when when you're laying stuff out. Because mm-hmm. um, it can suck where the player's like, what do you mean? I died. I didn't even know this was dangerous. And the DM's like, I've been trying to tell you this I, whole time. I see, I've seen it in Critical Role, too. Like, 
Matt will, in one of the episodes I just watched, I won't say too much because I know you're not at the same level that I am mm-hmm. in Camping 3, but he's like, he asks the party, so he like double checks with the party. So is anybody like, where are all you in relation to this, this character? Are you all just hanging back? Like he actually asks them and that kind of gave them like a, a hint of like, oh shit, we should probably be closer to this character because it sounds like something's about to pop off. And so as a DM, I think it's great to, would you call that like kind of meta gaming like a little bit? I think that's good if you're like, you really, you don't want your players to be caught off guard in that way. Like the point of, of playing Dungeons and Dra- Dragons, and Matt would agree with this because I've, I, I've read a quote from him about it, is that the point is to have a good time. So if the, if the rules of the death, like if it'll negatively impact that experience, then you need to rethink that. Then you need to, you know, throw the, throw the rules out the window. You either give warnings in character or you can also give warnings as the DM. Yeah, because you know what doesn't console an upset player? Well, you should have known better. Yeah. You say something like that to someone who just lost their character and you judge them for, for their decisions. It's really just a breakdown in communication between you and them where they didn't understand what you were communicating and you didn't understand why they were doing what they were doing. And then it led to this really awful outcome of them losing their character and you being like, well, you should have known better. I told you that monster was dangerous. If you're fighting about it, yeah. you've definitely gotten into the red zone of player safety. And ways that we've maintained safety in, an, in another campaign that you and I co-DM, the Feywild, the Witchlight campaign, mm-hmm. the previous session, they chose to get into a fight with a hag. At the top of the next session, we did a check-in. We're like, hey, you guys, this might take a turn for the worse. Are y'all still okay with character death? Not saying anybody's going to die, but y'all are fighting a hag. (laughs) Yeah. Like we don't want this to happen. Yeah. We care about you and want your story to continue. However, if we're honoring the desires of our villains and we're honoring their story, then we need to consider that some of your characters could die. And then being able to go around and have some people, some people said, honestly, I'm not ready for my character's story to end yet. And I'm like, great to know. And then another person was like, if they end, I want it to be in a blaze of glory and kind of ambiguous as to their ultimate fate. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, interesting. So then that cues me and you up as the story goes on with kind of who we can put, like if we're making a choice between who that hag is going to attack, we're going to go with the one who said, hey, I'm comfortable with dying in this story. And also based off of their actions. Also based the off their actions, of course. Combat. You're not going to like single them out just because they said that, but based off of how they were playing their character, which we will talk about a little, you know, a little bit about our personal experience with. <laughs> I'm sure some of our friends with, are laughing right now because yeah. they know what's coming. Anyway. Yeah, they do. All right. So those are some of the tips that we wanted to cover at the top of the episode. Let's get into one of Josh's favorite segments. Boop, 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 boop. This is what I'm talking about. Crit roll stats. Woo! Well, first I want to make a note. I've got like two crit roll stats, but one's not really a stat. Mm. I'm sure many of you have heard that crit roll stats is end of 2023. They are no longer updating stats it's now going to become an archived website oh, so man and if you didn't hear that we're sorry for we're sorry loss. pour one out for crit roll stats yeah. i really hope that somebody from critical role like i really hope that they actually i know they have danny as the lore archivist and i think they even have an assistant archivist or not archivist uh 
Lore Keeper. Lore Keeper, yeah. Yeah. Or do an archivist, though. Yeah, an archivist. But they really should have somebody taking that over. That's that that's a paid position. And I feel like a lot of these people who were running Crit Roll stats, that was volunteer. That was a lot of upkeep because Critical Role's not just doing campaign three. They're doing all sorts of content. And it's just, it's a lot of work, especially if you have a full-time job. But I, I don't know for sure if any of them were getting paid, if how many how many doma- donations were they getting through. Basically, it's no longer around. And so we don't know how long this segment of ours, Crit Roll Stats, is going to be around. It's certainly, you know, when we start talking more about campaign three, we won't be able to do it as much because they uh, stopped like halfway through campaign three. I'm going to say something clever. What? With every death comes a rebirth. Maybe we'll have a new segment. Yeah, there you go. Thank you for bringing that back, Josh. Yeah, yeah. we will like, I was thinking it could be Dev's dreams. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I some, some others. She has, she has I do dreams, have dreams of crit roll. And I won't share them right now, but I'm recording all of my dreams with crit roll. There's nothing people love more than just hearing about another person's dreams. No, I'm, I'm teasing you. I'm uh, teasing what? You. I'm totally teasing you. I like it. I mean, it's fun. Well, they're wild dreams. So it's not like, you know, the standard dream is I'm going to be, I'm at a table with them. I'm playing with them. You know, that's like your standard critical role dream. But sometimes they get wild. And maybe that could be a segment. Maybe we can have multiple segments that we just rotate. I don't know yet, but we're going to keep crit role stats for as long as we can because it's fun. Totally. And I like to stump Josh. Yeah. Now, number two, crit role stat. The actual stat of this episode for character death how many player characters died across the three campaigns okay i'm not gonna say who and which ones resulted in permadeath though many of us are aware which of these resulted in permadeath but how many in each of the campaigns so far died wow probably a good number um i'm gonna go with 30. that's really close that's probably like the closest you've ever been Right on. 35 so far. Campaign 1 had 17, including the pre-stream. And Campaign 2 had 13. Campaign 3 so far has 5. Word. And that includes the guest stars. Yeah. Yeah. So not just the main cast. Yeah, 35. It's a lot. That is a lot of death. Okay, that was your crit roll stat. Let's talk about... We're going to talk about unplanned deaths and then planned deaths in mm-hmm. critical role first we're going to start with unplanned deaths and that's going to be molly muck from campaign two played by talus and jaffe and we see this this contrast in the two campaigns campaign one and campaign two campaign one vox machina didn't seem to run away from combat right campaign two the players kind of still did this but then when molly died because they didn't run away and they had these bad roles and they didn't catch all the hints that Matt was giving regarding like this is not a fight you could win, the characters had to learn had to learn through a character's death that sometimes you have to know when to flee and fight another day. And you know, as we mentioned before, like Matt said that he did remind the players multiple times that this was a dangerous fight. And this is the fight with the Iron Shepherds who already kidnapped three of their characters. So three of the players weren't there. There's one guest player. So there's five instead of seven. There's no cleric. Nobody with healing, right? You're, you're, yep, you're nailing it. And Molly Muck, yeah, it's in, uh, it's, I think it's episode 26 in campaign two. And uh, it was, it was a shocker. It was not planned. You could see on both Matt's face and Talison's face that this was 
you know, you nobody goes into the session saying thinking that their character is going to die that yeah. or that the DM is like this character is going to die unless you talked about it with the DM beforehand. And that's part of the story, which we'll talk about in a moment when it comes to planned deaths. Yeah, it's it was sad. Yeah, it was sad. And you can see how Matt employed those little bits of advice that he gave and that what we talked about at the top of the episode, you know, made the moment epic. He gave Molly Muck his last uh, line. And actually, why don't we play a clip? Sure. His last line. Lorenzo looks back over towards Keg. This is Looks up at, at you, Bo, and says, an example it is. Molly, in the brief moments of consciousness, oh, fuck. what do you want to be your last words? <gasps> oh, no. Wait, can I say wait? No. He's in it? It's done? This is done. Do you get a reaction? Do you have anything? Maybe I can talk to him. Molly, mm-hmm. you have a brief moment as, as the consciousness in life leaves you. What are your last words? With blood. Oh, God. As it kind of slams into his face. Respect. And then twists the blade. The life leaves Molly. Eyes never shut. Uh, It's not Prado's turn. So Matt gave him his last line. He also incorporated Molly into the story, like just helped keep his memory alive. The players would, would come back and bury him. Or did they come back and bury him? Or They buried him and then they came back and with then, Yasha. Right, and later. then they came back with the others so that they could mourn him. And then Molly Muck was, ve- is, was very present throughout the rest of the campaign and even more so when we talk about Rebirth. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and and Yasha, it was even the reason for her to leave the party for a little while. The grief, yeah. Who, you know, they they she had this specific bond with Molly since the beginning of the campaign, and so yeah, that was. It really you felt the ripple effects of it. It changed them. Right. For the combat itself, Matt doesn't design. He you know he has said this that he doesn't design combat encounters that are impossible for his players. But this came down to. Poor decisions, poor roles, and he plays his villains like he will, he won't hold back. Like his villain is going to, if you're there lying unconscious and this villain is going to strike you, he's going to do it. Like he's not going to, he, there's a balance between, I guess, the killer GM and what's the other side of it? The one who's afraid to, to upset their party. Yeah, or cause lasting harm. Yeah. And I got to say that, you know, I haven't found that balance as a DM myself. I'm still, you know, a baby DM, still learning. Mm -hmm. Training wheels are still on. And I watched you handle a character death in our campaign. And there was like no fear there. There was this confidence. It was very reminiscent of how Matt handles it. Thank you. He understands like when the moment happens, he's like, there's no turning back from this. I have to see it through. It's almost like honoring the character that's about to die and the risk that they took that brought them to that moment. So I see I see a lot of that in you. And for me, I just don't want to hurt my players. I uh, 
I want I don't know if I'll be able to get to that point as a DM. I might be one of those DMs that's like, I don't think uh, death is something that I can narrate. Yeah. I think as a sensitive, I think it's too, I don't want to say triggering because that's not what it is, but maybe it is. It's too, that might be a line for me. I might not be able, I can barely do it in my books. I can barely kill my characters. Like, I mean, I have a character that dies of like a sickness. There's multiple times the protagonist seems like he won't make it, but I can't get myself to kill my protagonist. You know, the hardest thing about killing a character is that their growth ends. Yeah. That who they could have been and who they could be sort of stops. And that that's that's probably the, the biggest reason I think anyone has for, for not pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. It's different as a writer because you're the one who created the character. They're in your head, I think. Yeah. But as the DM, there is some distance between you and that character. Yeah, I mean, I do my best to empathize with my players and understand how invested they are. Um, so I do feel pain when it happens. It's it's an uncomfortable experience to narrate through a character's death. Like, I feel sad when it happened, when it happened most recently when you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure Matt does too. Um and he so, said he felt guilty for Molly's death. Yeah. That would be I that would be really hard to not have those feelings that you know even seeing him now how he handles the the deaths there seems to be more of a like ruthlessness like he warned for campaign 3 that things are going to ramp up. Yeah. Uh, like death is going to definitely be more of a possibility. Mm-hmm. It's not word for word what he said, but I'm not saying that he doesn't feel guilty every time it happens now. But there seems to be more of like, you know, the players understand what's happening. He's reminding them constantly that your character can die. Yeah. I guess you could just tell that it was it was hard for both of them and they both cared. And that investment is what you wanted in the beginning anyway. And like you said, it ended up being really significant. It was a gift to the story that it happened. Yeah. It was a gift that everybody picked up on and accepted as true and found a way to make meaningful. And that death led to the campaign's greatest villain. And and we'll talk about Rebirth in a second. And we'll talk about this character sure. later on in this episode. But death, as we said, can lead to Rebirth. And... It's really cool, actually. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah. For Taliesin, when he reflected on this, there was an interview that I read between him and Matt. And it was on PC Gamer. And... He said that it was this intense feeling, but not an uncomfortable one. Like having a bit of real death in one's reality, especially people closer to your age, you begin to learn what that process feels like for you. It's interesting. And again, similar to what we've already said, you know, he said that the good thing about fictional characters is that they don't die. They stay around in your head. So there's some solace from that. That was an unplanned character death. You know, there have been quite a few in Critical Role, but we just want to highlight one of them. And we want to now talk about planned. And this is the one that will be from campaign three with the early death that happened. I didn't know at the time, like I, I don't think anybody except for Matt and Travis knew at the time. You could sense in the scene, he, he played Bertrand Bell, this older gentleman. And I think he was kind of like part of the reason the group was together. And... He gets killed pretty early in the story. And while Travis seemed surprised, there was something about it that was, you know, that he wasn't surprised that it was, it was planned. 
and we, you know, learned that Travis wanted his character, the one he plays now, Chetney, to join the party a little bit later. And Matt wanted Travis to still be at the table when they started the campaign. So then they came up with Bertrand and Bell as, you know, somebody that would make sense to play in the story. Yeah. And when they discussed how Bertrand would then exit so that Travis could then play Chetney, Travis is the one that like pitched the the death idea. And he said that don't tell me how it's going to happen. I like that because it maintains a level of excitement for him. Mm-hmm. So there's uncertainty as there would be in that kind of a situation. And there's also clearly consent. So him and Matt can kind of go ahead mm-hmm. and tell that story together. I, I don't know. I think it's kind of exciting that he that he was like, what if he has a grim end? And then Matt's like, I could just see Matt going like, yeah, what if he did? Yeah. And then, you know, they're both like, okay, all right. And then, you know, they leave and it happens when it happens. And it lets Travis, I mean, the way he plays Bertrand, Bertrand's so like, he's not quite annoying, but he's kind of clueless. Yeah. And kind of like, I don't know, sloshy. He, and he wasn't, he was drunk and he would need to go relieve himself in an alley. Mm-hmm. And then that's where like his death happens yeah. in campaign three. So yeah, that seems like satisfying and that's more like a creative partnership that's yeah. happening. That, you know. And his significance, you know, I don't really hear much reference to Bertrand throughout campaign three. Like now that we're in the, later It's on not in the as campaign. meaningful as the unplanned one. It's not. It's not as me- meaningful. There is, like I mentioned, there's still significance you know, in, they named themselves Bell's Hells. They named themselves after him. Mm-hmm. They, it did create a bonding moment. Um, maybe more of a reason for them to stay together. Yeah. Man, you're right, though. Now that I'm reflecting on it, it was not, it not nowhere near, because it's not as sad. Mm-hmm. When you're like, oh, well, this is kind of consensual. Yeah. Well, when you find that out. I mean, it was still sad for him to go. Like, it was definitely surprising. It was a great scene. It was a great scene. It was a great scene. Oh, my God. Imogen's having the dream at the same time. Yeah. And, like, Matt's cutting back and forth between the two. Oh, amazing. That was One of my favorite moments from early on in the campaign. So, like, they clearly made made awesome art out of it. The way that Matt is able to narrate his scenes, the pacing of it, is masterful. And, again, we'll have it episode talking about that it certainly takes a lot of practice to get to that point it does so yeah. nobody's saying that people need to go out there <laughs> and be able to do a death scene while something else is happening with another character no no <laughs> yeah no just just focus on one thing <laughs> just focus on one thing and if you're going to practice the cutting back and forth thing do it at you know at an easier moment for you right you know these are just it's all just different skills you're working on piece by piece so that's cool. a planned death but i also wanted to briefly yeah. mention that calamity yeah we, we don't talk a lot about it and, you know, want to devote an episode to Brennan. <laughs> um, I could do five or six episodes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Calamity, I think that's such a cool concept. So in this mini series, they know that they're all going to, well, at least most of them, that they're all going to die. This is, this is going to be their last day. The conceit when they created their characters mm-hmm. was your character is going to live out the last day on earth in this incredibly high magic society Mm -hmm. that once existed and does not and has not in anything but legend. And you're literally going to live at the fall of that society and none of you are going to make it. That was the character creation premise. Yes. And so to know that as a player that you're like, wow, that you already know you're going to die. The stakes are still high because you're like, how? 
how how do I die and how do I help if I help at all bring the fall of this? Yes, because that's another thing is how did you as a high player in this society, how were you involved in this? Yeah. And that's also such a great, like, ah, oh, like it's, it's a chance to be bad, to be just a little bad. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's still, it's really exciting because for that same reason, you still don't know what's going to happen, how it's going to happen and how you contribute and, you know, all the little details of it. And that's the exciting part, mm -hmm. you know, and then, yeah, you can make the story meaningful and touching and, oh, it's. That miniseries is a knockdown drag out success. Yeah, it is. It's so fun. Four episodes, worth watching. And it's still sad, you know, even though you know that they're not going to make it, it's still sad to watch. Yeah, it's like watching it's a horror still... movie. You know that it's not going to work oh, out. Yeah, it's like Titanic. Like watching the movie Titanic. That's a great example. It felt a lot like that. Yeah, you know this is going to add badly, but but you're still learning to care about them. Yeah. And that's, the, that's just good storytelling. Good storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's planned deaths. We want to just talk briefly about our own experience with, you know, this was my first experience with a character dying in our mm -hmm. own campaigns. Yeah. And it happened rather recently. And I would say it was both planned and unplanned. So we mentioned earlier that we started the beginning of the session just, you know, reminding the players of this what was at stake. Mm -hmm. Y'all picked a fight with a hag, just checking in on... How Where are we feel? at with death? Yeah, how does everyone feel about that? And you know, there it's now a chase. So they're running. They're they're running away from her. Running away from her. She's flying on this rocking, rocking horse. horse. Well, the players were making decisions about what they want to do, and one of our bards was making a lot of decisions that were putting himself in harm's way, not wanting to turn back. Ultimately, they were making some stealth checks to hide from her as she was circling on the treetops, you know, above the treetops in the forest, and looking for them. And he made the decision to climb up onto a hill and play music loudly and attract her attention so the others could get away. Regardless of what anything was going on mechanics-wise, it was very clear to me that he was making, that the player was announcing, like, this is how I want my character to go in the story. Yes, he didn't He didn't explicitly say that, but I remember you and I looking at each other, and I'm like... I think I said something, he's inviting death. Like, yeah, he, like, this, he has a death wish or, or he has something a death like wish. that. That's right, Because I'm said. like, I'm freaking out for the... In on the inside, because I, I, I mean, I'm not very good at hiding my emotions <laughs> when they're doing dangerous stuff. But anyway, like I'm freaking out, like, oh my gosh, how is he gonna get out of this? And then you said that to me, and I'm like, oh, he's not. He, he, he's not. He doesn't want to. Yeah, I've been there before a couple of times with with a character dying, and it's it's not it's not easy. Where the player knows the player made a decision, and they know, or because <sighs> in this case, our player. He knew what was at stake. I think he that, knew what he was, the decision he was making was going to lead to this. I think that was unique, actually, okay. that this player was doing that. Uh, but in the past, I've been in I've been in states where I'm like, I have given these players a lot of warnings, and mm -hmm. I now know that if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna honor the story and the the villains I've created and make them scary and make them as dangerous as I say they are, this is not going to end well for them if they don't roll well on the next couple checks to escape, or you know they don't make the right decisions mm -hmm. or whatever. Because there is a point where the stakes really have to kick in. And how do you not, as a DM, do like a... A deus ex machina? Because I'm like already thinking like, oh, how can I have somebody pop out of a tree and rescue well, you them can. or something? You totally can. I just don't, I don't go there inside of myself. I go like, I can live in the painful emotion of, of loss here. Because I think, I know that ultimately it's going to make for a better story. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it's going to be more meaningful when this happens. 
that's what I, I tell myself. And also I'm, I'm personally, I'm kind of curious to explore this stuff. Yeah. I'm like, what, what's it going to be like? Um, and in the case of this character, our bard who went up against the hag, he kind of had a moment like Eddie Munson from, mm -hmm. uh, Stranger Things where he's like playing his guitar and the hag swoops down and all the others are hiding in the forest and, and they kind of watch in horror as, as he dies. And then that's a really sad moment. I totally could have cut it there, but in terms of me preparing, because I knew that death was going to be on the table, I thought about some post-life scenes, mm. some stuff that could happen in the underworld or, or in, in, because you can do that in D&D. &D. And so I had our bard do a scene with the god, the god of theater, uh, which I thought yeah, was kind of fun. I love that idea. Yeah. And, and I played with this idea of like, okay, what if he could come back? For one, you know, it was on a stage with the god of theater, you know, in, in the afterlife. And I was wondering, like, what if I gave him an opportunity, but he would have to give up something really essential if he was going to come back? And so I had the God of Theater say, like, if you want to come back, and you can, it's going to be incredibly powerful magic, you're going to need to give up your muse. And for the player, that meant you can't want to be a great writer anymore. Because that was something that had been central to his character since the beginning. It's like, right. you can't ever do that. You need to fully give up that dream and figure out who you are now without that. And it was this big moment. The player asked the other players, like, do you guys think that would be interesting? And everyone was like, yeah, I'd kind of like to see it. Like, you'd just, it'd be like your friend coming back, but not with the same personality. And for me as a DM, I'm like, that would be a really interesting role-playing challenge for our player to see who would he be? If yeah. he didn't have that drive. So I was really curious to see if he would take that that hook. And that's where the rebirth side comes in for me. Because you're coming back, but you're coming back. You know, people talk about near-death near experiences where they are changed fundamentally after having a brush with it. And yeah, I'm interested in that. Yeah, and speaking of rebirth, if, if you don't mind me like please, moving please. that on, you brought, brought it up. Yeah. It is very similar to Molly Muck and... Lucian and Kingsley. So, you know, Molly Muck dies. He gets reborn, but he's really Lucian. I I'm not remembering all oh, the Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right he now. comes back. He he had had multiple personalities. Yeah, multiple lifetimes. Multiple times. lifetimes, like in, in the same body. In the same body, yeah. And, yeah. and so he comes back. Somebody brings him back as Lucian. And then he becomes this villain in this story. Yeah. And when this villain is is defeated they're able to save him and bring back yeah the, the soul same, of their friend in the a way soul of their friend yeah and he, he was named kingsley so Talison also had that opportunity to play the character molly muck differently as kingsley yeah. matt played lucian but uh Talison got to play yeah um, kingsley and as kingsley he kind of got to rediscover who he is yeah. same same voice same appearance same abilities give or take um but a different personality yeah yeah that's cool it is cool. And in the case of permanent deaths, you know, Matt doesn't abandon subplot. He purposes them to highlight the tragedy of the character's death and, and give closure to their individual tales. Yeah. And, you know, we see this repurpose with Lucian. Like, yes. And on that note, when Talison first made Molly Mock, he said, I woke up two years ago in a grave and I don't remember anything about what was before that. And then he gave it to Matt and Matt was like, wow, that's, that's a lot. And he probably wrote a bunch of I ideas. DMs love the amnesiac background. Gotta love it. Gotta yeah. love it. And 
then when he died, Matt probably had all these ideas about who he was before he woke up in that grave. And he was, and at some point he must've been like, wow, I bet I could repurpose this and have him come back as his old personality and he could be a villain. Yeah. Um, it's so. so cool to see all the different connections that weren't intentionally there. Like all, like the references to eyes, the references to the number nine, that wasn't intentional. Like things just happen as you're weaving this story together, these connections start making themselves made you know start connecting themselves yeah and as a dm you want to look for what is meaningful in the story what is happening that the players are grasping onto or that's meaningful because maybe you didn't think about it originally but now you're like this number nine keeps on coming up yeah how could i make this matter in a really significant way going on and then you know he comes up with the, the eyes of nine it definitely adds a lot of tension when you're you see your friend that you thought was dead and now he's this He's a different person. He's a different oh, person. God, I got chills. And when now that you happened. and now you have to fight him. Yeah. But do you also want to try to save his soul? It's such conflicting emotions that you're dealing with as your character. Oh, and it's so fun. Yeah, it I just shows you arc. how you can take it's, a death and repurpose it and create this yeah, know, yeah, yeah. story. All right, so I know we're close to the end, but I want to share one more rebirth story and Oh, okay. It was my, one of my first experiences of rebirth. So one of our friends played a paladin named Jeff and Jeff was kind of, I don't know, egocentric and really arrogant and did a lot of things that would put himself in harm's way and eventually died in the story sort of because of those actions. And because of uh, a spell that was cast really early on in the campaign, Jeff had the opportunity to come back. And when it came back, the character's gender was different and they had the opportunity to learn. My, my friend said, basically there were things about Jeff that didn't work. And as her new character, she was learning a new way to be by stepping into like this new role. And in the beginning, she didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. She just knew that she wasn't going to be the way that she was. And so it was this opportunity to, it was actually a really cool opportunity to give up things that that didn't matter, didn't serve her in the past, and discover, you know, who she wanted to be aside from that. So the the lens that I see that in is like that it's a chance to to actually transform who you are. And what does it mean to come back and know that you're being given a second chance? You don't want to repeat the same mistakes that you had before. Right. Which I think is just a fundamental thing about death. You know, like when people do have those experiences, they're like, I don't if that was the end for me, I wouldn't have been happy with who I was. And so I want to change. And I I just think that that is beautiful for someone to have a chance to really give things up and try again and be the person they always did want to be. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to share. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. We'll definitely talk more about Rebirth in the future. I think we have a, a guest star that we want to talk about Rebirth with. And we could have totally talked about Vax from Campaign 1, but we're going to save that for a future episode. And we have come to the end of our episode, uh, but we've got your favorite segment. <laughs> yeah. In addition to the crit roll stats, you, your other favorite segment of the of this podcast. Do, 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 do. Blanking with Critical Role. Woo! All right. For blanking with Critical Role, which of the clerics from Critical Role would you want to wake up from almost dying? So they just used Revivify on you and they said some nice words to bring you back. 
to bring your soul back to your body. Oh and you God. oh you blink your eyes open and you see the cleric looking down at you. Oh my God, that makes me really emotional. I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, um, so we have FCG played by Sam in Campaign 3. Caduceus played by Talison. Jester played by Laura. Those are from Campaign 2. Pike, who played was played by Ashley. Yeah. Campaign 1. And then we have guest stars Kashaw played by Will Friedel. Friedel? Friedel. Friedel in Campaign 1. And Shikasa played by Kari Payne in Campaign 2. Nice. Um, Do you know your answer? No. <laughs> Gosh, it's it's a hard question. It is. I I have an answer. Go ahead. I actually think it would be Pike. Really? I thought that she was really compassionate, and I kind of liked how like brassy she is, like and tough, but also caring. And I could imagine waking up to her and her being like, "You're gonna be okay, buddy." You know yeah. that whole way that she used to refer to Grog as buddy. Yeah. Like something about that gets me choked up, and and I would trust her bring me back i think i would say caduceus mm. and the wild mothers of the god that he worships just the way that those scenes were described with her just feels very like warm and inviting welcoming like if i wanted a cleric to 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 revivify me or not because he's also a grave cleric so he'd been able to handle the other stuff i would have been yeah. turned into tea you would have been turned into tea <laughs> because caduceus makes dead people tea oh my god that's so funny i really like that dev as an answer because there was something special about caduceus where he wanted to bring you back to life and save you but he also completely honored like death. Yeah. He was a cleric of the grave and which is a really cool subclass, like great abilities. Yeah. If, if you ever want to play a cleric, it might be my favorite subclass. Oh, for a cleric? For a cleric, yeah. But yeah, you're right. Even if you don't go, like his whole thing was like nature, you know, you're you're going to move on and you'll be whatever you are next, which is probably nothing. You'll that's help okay too. Or you'll help new life grow. Yeah. You'll help sustain current life. Yeah. Circle of life. And bring it back full circle. That Caduceus is the follow-up to Molly's character. Yeah. Caduceus is the rebirth of Molly. Right. Um, and is all about acceptance of death, which probably was something Taliesin was grappling with. I know he had a couple of sleepless nights after Molly died. And he had to find closure in himself for that unplanned death. And Caduceus promises that. He promises acceptance no matter how the ball rolls. You could create a character. If your character dies, you could create a character that helps you go through that grieving process holy sorry i'm just what? remembering i've done that i've wanted to do that before oh. i had my bard roy good yeah. who i loved but he was very vulnerable and put himself in a lot of risky situations yeah. so i would know i was like he could die you need a backup character my backup character was his old girlfriend Ginny. Ginny. yeah who was a barbarian and i imagined her like somehow finding out about his death and and joining the party and that rage that she feels at losing Roy was my rage at losing a character that I had loved. Holy wow. Yeah, it's a great, you know, go back to our character creation episode. We didn't really talk about this a lot. But yeah, through character death, you could use this as a way to to mourn your previous character, to keep that character alive in yeah. the story. Oh, make a connection. Yeah. Wow. Dev, I love how we came full circle on this one. <laughs> yeah. Well... That is the end of our episode on character death. Hopefully it wasn't too heavy for y'all. And I do want to do a shout out. Thank you to Sarah for giving us even more tips on how to adjust our audio and just take care of the editing process. Hopefully it's sounding better for y'all. And, you know, just refer back to episode one. We're going to constantly grow and improve and 
And oh yeah, yeah. you know what Sarah said to us? I'll put this in. This is for everyone. Today the things are going to be hard, but tomorrow those same things are going to be easy. Yeah. And you're going to find new things that'll be hard, but that's how you grow. I love it. Me too. Yeah. yeah. So that's us with our podcast. Exactly. And hopefully you out there with whatever matters to you. Yes. Which speaking of whatever matters to you, you know, do your thing, leave a review, leave some comments, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Critical Role Models and uh, tell us what you think. Which cleric would you want to revive you? What episodes, like topics would you want us to cover? Yeah. And uh, yeah. We do read that stuff. We do read it. Yeah. As long as it's like, you know, four stars or more. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no we'll we'll, 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 read we'll it. take in the more painful reviews too yeah. i suppose yeah yeah they have to be kindly said kindly said yeah yeah, yeah. i like this yeah safety tools right safety hey tools. audience this is how we yeah. want feedback yeah okay anyway. well thank you very much and we love you and is it thursday yet is it thursday yet Yay. bye everyone Critical Role Models is a Playing for Keeps podcast produced by Joshua Selesnick and Devora Lewis. Thank you to Sarah Vinci for her help in getting this podcast off the ground and for creating our music. And thank you to Amy Santana at Amy's Art Animations for creating our podcast cover art. You can follow us on Instagram at Critical Role Models. And we thank you all for listening.